Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning. All right. There's a phrase that we have all have probably heard at some point in time uh, in our uh, journey in church, whether it was uh, in a Bible study, maybe from a pulpit, we, we've all heard this phrase uh, that we want to be like the New Testament church. You probably have always heard that phrase. At some point in time, we hear some people say, hey, I want us to be or we should be like a New Testament church. And the idea of that comes from uh, Acts chapter 2. If you're familiar with the Bible, we know that Acts is the sequel to Luke. And in Acts chapter 2, we get this description, starting in verse 42, of what the New Testament church was about. And the same thing that we find there is the same that we should see about uh, our church in this day. And so Acts chapter 2, and starting in verse 42, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were formed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions and gave anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily to those that were being saved. What a beautiful and wonderful picture this is that people were getting together and celebrating God together, fellowshipping, hearing the word of God taught. They were, essentially what they were doing was they were walking and doing life together. And so we get this image that this is what the church should be about, is us doing life together by parting together, by breaking bread together, or whatever it is that we would break in North Alabama, right? And we would fellowship together, and we would have this time. But as much as we see in the New Testament, and we say we want to be a New Testament church, what's important to understand is even though this it might be the standard of what we want to see for the church, uh, the New Testament church wasn't much different than the church today. What I mean by that is this. The New Testament church, just like the church today, it had its junk that was going on. Uh, we know one thing about people. When people are involved, what's going to happen? People type stuff, right? There's a phrase that says this. Uh, you've probably heard this before. Uh, there would be, the church would be perfect if it wasn't for the who? The people right? If you just, the church didn't have people, it would be a perfect church because there are people, churches are not perfect. We see the same thing in the New Testament. Matter of fact, when Paul would write his letters to the various churches he was writing to, uh, Paul would write them with this idea in mind that he was going to call out, whether it was false doctrine or false teaching, or whether it was uh, certain sins that the church was allowed to take place within the church, hello Corinth, right? And so you, or he was encouraging believers, or he was calling out believers, or whatever it might be. Paul was addressing certain things when he was writing the, these letters for the sole purpose to call the people of church to realign their lives with Jesus and realign their lives with the mission of the church, which is to make disciples and advance the kingdom of God. And so this morning in the book of Philippians, we're going to find in these first nine verses in chapter four, we're going to see uh, this very same thing Paul is going to write out. Matter of fact, Paul is going to call people by name, and we're going to see how Paul addresses 
the church in Philippi with a sole purpose that they may realign their lives with Christ and get back on mission for, uh, for the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to start in, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, and it says this. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, the church in Philippi was Paul's favorite, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true partners, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any more excellent, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what have you learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray real quick. Father God, as we get ready to dive into uh, these first nine verses in chapter 4 of Philippians, Lord, we pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to the word that you have for us, Lord. And as we sang earlier, Lord, I pray it's more of you and less of me this morning, God, as I deliver the passage you have for me. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for loving us. We pray, Lord, that you will convict us and challenge us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you were to give this, ti- this passage a title, you can call it kind of like a miscellaneous exhortations kind of thing. Uh, Paul addresses a couple things here. There's no over, over, you know, major theme going on. The closest thing you do is the, is the major things probably do not worry. But it's, he addresses a couple things. So we can kind of call it a miscellaneous exhortations. But if we like to break down the Word of God, which is what we like to do, is what we should do, then real quick, what I want to give you is five things we see within this text. Now, I normally don't do bullet points or something like that, and I'm not really doing that this morning, but I want to give you five things that we see in this text that help break down this text batter, or better, not batter, that's what you used to make cake. Um, but since we're Baptists, all these things are going to start with the letter R, right? Because if, if you're Baptist, you know every point has to have the same letter, right? So just real quick, this is, if you break down this text, this is what we're going to find. So in verse 1, we are to remain in Him. In verses 2 and 3, we are to remember what unifies us. In verses 4 and 5, we are to rejoice in his closeness or his nearness. In verse 7, we are to react with prayer. In verses 8 and 9, we are reminded ourselves of these things. Real quick, I'll go over those one more time for y'all. In verse 1, we are to remain in him. In verses 2 and 3, we are to remember what unifies us. In verse 4 or 5, we are to rejoice in his closeness or his nearness. Verse 7, we are to react with prayer. In verses 8 and 9, we are to remind ourselves of these things. In verse 1, Paul comes around the gate, and he was reminding the church in Philippi to stand firm in the Lord. Now, this might be hard for some of you to believe at, by looking at my physique today, uh, but when I was in high school, I was I would, what you would call a tall, lanky stick, right? I was about 125 pounds soaking wet. I was not a dude you would consider a big dude. I didn't have the physique you see now before you. Thank you for that encouragement. So, so in high school, I was. I was like a tall, lanky stick. And, and y'all, most of y'all know this. I played basketball. That was like my thing. And so one thing you know about basketball is oftentimes on defense, you'd be matched up with someone on the offensive end that you could 
you know, handle pretty well, right? Same height, same build, same skill sets. You can guard them pretty well. But sometimes in basketball, what happens is you end up switching on your guy. It might happen from a screen or it might be instead of fighting through it, you just take the switch. And so sometimes what happened is I am guarding another stickly looking figure dude and a switch would take place and now I'm stuck on a human boulder, right? Now I don't know how much y'all know about science, but boulder beats stick, right? And so here we are and the switch has taken place and this is what you call a mismatch. Now if you're on offense and there's a mismatch, you love it. Because you have a guy you know you can beat. You have a guy you know you can take advantage of. You're like, let's do this thing. If you're on defense, you're just like, just let this not end up on ESPN, right? And so Boulder gets ball. I'm in the post trying my hardest to guard Boulder, but every time a Boulder's going to mow past a stick and get the bucket, right? Unless I cheat or something. Now, if you think of standing firm, another thing you might think of is football. You have your offensive line. You have your defensive line. What's the job of the defensive line? Your job is to make sure that the quarterback is protected or offensive line is protected at all point in time. You are not to let the defensive guys get past you and get to your quarterback. And so you have this offensive line, and their job is to stand firm, stand their ground, and take on their block, take on their assignment, and protect the quarterback. And now Paul is writing this, and he's telling the church to stand firm in the Lord. And the reason he's talking to church reason he's using this this idea of standing firm in the lord because the new testament church they face a lot of opposition and they face a lot of conflict what the new testament church found out was when you align yourself with a resurrected messiah there are those who don't like that and so they would face opposition they would face conflict and one of the areas they faced was from rome we know rome the powerhouse the dynasty before the great fall. So Rome, they would come into your town, and what they'd want to do is they'd want to absorb you. So they wanted to Romanize you, but in, in doing so, they would let you keep your customs, they would let you keep your, uh, your, uh, your traditions, your beliefs, they would even let you keep your gods as long as you rejoiced and celebrated and worshipped Caesar as king. The rest of it was cool. And so they would come in, take over your area, and uh, apply their Roman laws to you, but you still get to keep your stuff as long as you follow their rules and worship Caesar and proclaim Caesar as king. And Paul is just sitting here sta- uh, stating to them, listen guys, that is not where we are standing firm. We stand firm in who Jesus is. It, it, wherever you choose to stand firm, that is who your king is. That is who you're worshiping. If you choose to align yourself with Caesar, then Caesar is your king. If you choose to align yourself within any other area of life, that becomes your king. And Paul is reminding them, we only have one king, and his name is Jesus. This is what the Romans found out, that when you went after the church and you told them, hey, you have this king, his name is Caesar, what they found out, the church was like, no, we already have a king, and his name is Jesus. And when we align our lives with his, we align our lives with the mission of the kingdom of God, then we are standing firm in who Jesus is and claiming him and him alone as king and nothing else. And so Paul is reminding these people of Philippi to stand firm in who Jesus is. Nothing else on this earth compares to Jesus. No power, no person no item, nothing that we can achieve, nothing in this life will ever compare to who Jesus is. And as long as we remind ourselves of those things, as long as we dwell on those things, we can stand firm 
in who Jesus is, knowing that nothing on this earth will compare to who Jesus is. And so Paul writes these things to the church of Philippi. So how does standing firm look like for you? How does it look for me? How do we wrestle with this and flesh this out? What it looks like, but may we end up standing firm in the Lord. In verse 2, we find these two women. It says, it says I urge Eodia and I urge uh, Syntyche to, stand, to agree in the Lord. So we have these two women who are in some type of disagreement. What they're disagreeing about, we really don't know. But we know they're in disagreeing, and the disagreement has caused divisions within the church. It's become an issue for the church of Philippi. We know this because it wasn't Paul would address it, but because he addresses it, is it a major issue? And he's writing to these women who are in this disagreement and how this would look like in a modern-day setting properly. You would have these two women, they are disagreeing, they're arguing. And what happens when we disagree with somebody or we, or we can't agree on something? What happens? We end up shutting them out, right? We end up not being as close friends as we once were. These two women, they probably stopped coming to Bible study in fear of seeing the other one. They probably stopped attending prayer group. They probably stopped and pulled out of their D group. They probably stopped coming to life groups. They quit uh, uh, responding to their text messages. They quit responding to DMs. They were ghosting each other, and Paul is basically saying, this is the dumbest thing ever. You guys need to get together and figure this out and work it out. Paul is calling out names, and as the students would say, he has brought receipts, right? Which means Paul has, he knows what he's talking He has proof of what these two ladies are doing, and he is calling them out and telling them to work it out. I don't know about you, but if Paul writes a letter and my name is in it, that's probably not a good thing, Right? And so he urges these two people. And what's interesting, when we see uh, these two individuals, we want to see that they were actually partners with Paul in the ministry for the gospel. In verse 3, it says this, Yes, I ask you, true partner, to help these women who have conceded for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers who named are in the book of life. So these two individuals, they were once committed and aligned their lives with Jesus. They were once committed to the gospel work. They were committed into serving with Paul and these other individuals for the sake of the kingdom of God. And then this dis disagreement, whatever it is, took place, and then division sets in. And so Paul is addressing this, and he's, and he's encouraging these folks, hey, hey, partner with these women and help these women get to the bottom of it. Because it's not about the disagreement that these two are going through, but it's about getting them back on track and aligning their lives back with Jesus and getting them back involved in the mission of the church. And the, and the mission is what? To make disciples and see the kingdom of God advance. But we can't do that very well if we're too busy bickering and arguing with each other. Obviously, this is not the church of Philippi, but the same thing applies. If there's someone in this room, if there's another believer that, that you and I have a disagreement with, that you and I are having some kind of, of issue with, may we get together and break bread or break some tortilla chips together. It's like all we do is break tortilla chips. I ain't mad at that, though. Shout out to La Alameda. All right? You've ever been there? You know what I'm talking about. All right? But may we get together and just and work this out, move forward, because it's not about you and me. It's all about Jesus. 
And when we have these issues, what we're doing is we're, we're taking that and we're putting the, the, the focal point on self. And what Paul's encouraged to do is work this out together and get back on track for the mission of the kingdom of God, which is to make disciples and advance the kingdom. May we not be like these two women and allow our differences and our preferences get in the way and divide us into what God has called us to do. But may we work it out together and to move forward wholeheartedly for the gospel. Like I said, New Testament church, today church, things, same things going on, right? Can you imagine people in the church bickering and arguing? Never heard of it, have you? But it happens all the time. And the same thing Paul reminds us, the same thing Paul reminded them, the same thing we should apply today. Let's work through it and get back on track for the kingdom of God. What does it look like to an unbelieving world when the world sees a church arguing together against each other? What kind of witness is that? Probably not a very good one. But what kind of witness is when, it, the, when the world sees a church unified for the mission of God? What could we do if we were truly unified like that? Nothing can hold us back. In verse 4 it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Paul saying these women and these other folks, they were warriors with us for the sake of the gospel. And he's reminding them, stop rejoicing in whatever it is that's going on and rejoice only in who Jesus is. Uh, we have a habit of rejoicing in uh, our circumstances. We rejoice in our misery. We rejoice in our sadness. This is what we call a pity party. It's all a pity party is. Woe is me rejoicing in that, right? That's all a pity party is. And we find ourselves rejoicing in other areas of life, and Paul is reminding us that we should rejoice in the Lord always. We actually see a couple of references um, of rejoicing different ways in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 15, you have the lost stuff. You got the lost son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. All three are parables, and all three are the same. You have something that is lost, but there is rejoicing when those things are found. The lost son, you have this prodigal son who was gone who was who was ran away from home and what happens when he returns the father embraces him and there is a moment of rejoicing the same thing in lost coin the lost sheep there's moments of rejoicing which paints a picture when a lost soul comes to christ there is rejoicing or there definitely should be rejoicing in that but you see the parables of these lost stuff because we rejoice when we when we when we find the stuff that's lost if your kids are like my kids Losing stuff is a superpower. It really is. Now, Connor, he's just a boy. He doesn't really lose stuff. He just can't see it. And he gets it honestly. To be honest with you, he gets it from Sarah. I'm just kidding. He gets it from me. And so, Connor will be looking at something, and he'll say, I can't find it. And you'll go in there, it's right there. And I can't say anything because I do the same thing. I will tell Sarah, Sarah, I can't find my keys. They're hanging up. I'd look, they weren't there. So I'll walk over there. Bloop, here you go. Right? So he gets it honestly. Now, Savannah, on the other hand, if she loses something, every, our street knows it. Right? There is wailing involved. There is screaming involved. 
there are sometimes temper tantrums definitely happening. And y'all probably can relate to this, right? Because whatever it is, and when a kid loses a toy, whatever toy, they may have not touched that toy in years. It's their favorite toy because they can't find it, right? The kids went to the dentist the other day, and Savannah got this for being a good person at the dentist because usually she's not. They gave her this little dinosaur. And she lost that dinosaur that night. And it broke out, y'all. But what happened when that dinosaur was found? Yay! You know? It was a moment of rejoicing. It was a moment of celebrating. Why? Because the lost thing was found, right? This is a picture of what happens when, when, when a lost soul comes to Christ. Heaven, it celebrates. It rejoices over the lost soul who is no longer lost but is now found and is another member in the kingdom of God. We find other examples of rejoicing in the New Testament. We find uh, rejoicing when we talk about God's rewards. We talk about rejoicing when we talk about rewards that God has given us. We, we rejoice over the miracles and the things that God has done. There should be rejoicing when we look at the birth of Christ. There should be rejoicing when we look at the death of Christ. There should be rejoicing when we look at the burial and the resurrection of Christ. There should be rejoicing when we think and we look at the future when Christ establishes his kingdom here on earth. There should be rejoicing in that. There should be rejoicing when we see a lost soul come to Christ. There should be rejoicing when we see someone fall through with believers baptism we should see rejoicing when people take on and get serious about about who they are in christ and getting on board on the mission of god we should rejoice over these things we should celebrate them we should be excited about them that's all rejoicing is it's just celebrating them because we celebrate the lord we celebrate his goodness we celebrate his resurrection we celebrate his truths we celebrate his hope and we celebrate his victory and we don't just celebrate inwardly when we're driving down the road 35 miles an hour our favorite worship song comes up on the on the playlist we don't just worship outwardly when we are sitting at chick-fil-a and they bring us our spicy chicken sandwich i can eat it no more but i will celebrate you guys eating it all day long all right and we shouldn't just celebrate inwardly outwardly on certain occasions but at all times in every situation of life we should constantly be rejoicing through the bad through the good through the ugly through the great things everything in between may we always rejoice in the Lord, because if nothing else, of just who He is. In verse 5, it says this, Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Now, my version says graciousness. I'm using the CSB. Your version might, may say something different. It may say uh, reasonable or, or gentleness, but all three of these words, and they're kind of big words if you think about it in light of our current, you know, culture. Because when it says graciousness and gentleness and being reasonable, it's talking about how you and I interact with each other and non-believers. And it uses these three words, but yet when we think about the current cultural climate, this is not really how we normally react. Usually react with, with rage and anger, especially if there's something that we don't agree to or we don't like. But Paul uses these descriptions like, hey, we should interact with grace and with reason and with gentleness instead of like the rest of the world. Because in gra- graciousness is what we're called to, but we see aggression. Reason is what we're called to, but the people celebrate wrath. Gentleness is what we are called to, but we choose fury. We're called to these things, but in our current cultural climate, we see rage and we see anger. And there are some things, y'all, you can like, just spit out on top of, like, right now. Like social media, rage. Y'all seen people get mad at social media? 
Yes. Right? Politics, rage. You ever seen you go mad at politics? Absolutely, right? And we have this mindset, I'm not saying it's everyone, I'm not talking about just us, but church people in church in general, we have this habit that certain topics fuel us or triggers, as people would say, and then we want to engage in conversation full of anger and full of aggression, and we think that if we just argue loud enough that we can win an argument for God, but that's not how it works, right? God calls us to live with grace and live with reason and live in gentleness. Now, that doesn't mean that we, you know, allow certain things to take place. We still stand firm in the Word of God. We stand firm on the things the Bible teaches, but yet while standing firm, we interact and respond in grace and reason and gentleness. Social media rage, politics rage, other things rage. And in, in the Bible, we find the Savior in the midst of it all, and the saviors whose kingdom does not advance forcefully, but it advances with gentle, patient love. In Revelation chapter 5, uh, we find uh, 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 John, the revelator, I like calling John the revelator, it's not like a professional wrestler, right? John the revelator. Anyways, uh, we, we find John, and, and in Revelation, we find where they are looking for someone who can open up the scrolls, and they can't find anybody, so John just starts weeping. And in verse 5, we, we find uh, the answer to this question. So in verse 5, it says this, then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. In this particular verse, we get this image of this lion, this powerful, ferocious lion. And we we're looking for this lion to do lion things, right? Eat meat, devour its enemies. In this moment, we're looking for Simba. We're looking for Mufasa. Or better yet, we're looking for a Aslam, right? We're looking for this mighty lion just to come onto the scene and devour everything in its path because that's what lions do. But then we look at verse 6 and we see something completely different. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, it says this, Then I saw the one like a slaughter lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among them the elders. John was expecting a lion but when he turns to the throne, what does he see in the midst of it? He sees a slaughtered lamb. The conquering king is most definitely a lion, but he presents himself as a lamb. So we do not have to try to win fights for Jesus. He's already won. It's already his. But may we move forward in graciousness, in reason, and in gentleness. This is to be part of not just the church's reputation, but the believer's reputation as well. In verse 6, it says this, Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, present your request to God. Studies show that people are more stressed out and have more anxiety now than ever before. A, a, a poll done in 2019, was just a couple of years ago, uh, stated that uh, teenagers specifically, and it probably goes with, for all of us as well, uh, told the, the poll that they had high to moderate anxiety and felt extremely stressed out. Now that was before a pandemic hit and just 
turned everything upside down, right? And most of us can probably agree right now, we struggle with more anxiety and stress and worry than ever before. There's this senior adult lady, and this is not in our church, but there's a senior adult lady, and if you don't know who the senior adult ladies are, they are the young, beautiful women who've been, 90, or been 29 for years, and they don't look a day past 29, so it's wonderful, right? I'm trying to build brownie points here. And so this senior adult lady, they, she was talking to her pastor, and they are talking about worry. And she made this comment to the pastor. She said, listen, I don't fear death. I just worry how about how, about how I'm going to get there. Worry seems to creep up in every single one of us. We worry about family. We worry about our health. We worry about work. We worry about life. We worry about whatever direction this world is going in. If you're like me, sometimes you even worry to the point you make up fake scenarios in your head. Right? And now you're, you're stressed out over something that's not even happening. Right? And maybe I'm the only weird one in here. I don't know. But we all deal with worry. So what does Paul say when he says, do not worry? He does, he's not saying, ignore your worry. He's not saying, just overlook your worry and hope it goes away. What he's saying is, deal with it. Handle it. We, got, we always got to take the cars to get clean. And the kids spend more time in Sarah's car, and so they like to destroy the cars. So you got to like take the car up to the fancy car wash and the ones you drive through, and then you park it, and then you got to, they have the very nice do-it-yourselves vacuum systems. And so we have to, we'll go up there, and we'll go to uh, get the car cleaned out. And, and since the kids use her car more, they leave everything in there, baseball gear, school supplies, toys, books, you name it. So as you're cleaning the car, all these things, I move them to the back of the pilot. So I'm cleaning out the car, I'm moving the back of the pilot, so everything's clean, but everything in the back of the pilot. Now, I would like to tell you when I got home, I cleaned it out, but most of the time I forget until the next time you open the back side of the door and then you see the stuff, and now I can't ignore it. I've got to deal with it, right? I've got to take the stuff, and I've got to deal with it. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, don't ignore your worry. Don't just hope it goes away. Deal with it. Now, what that looks like might look different for each of us, but deal with the worry. He even gives us a how, right? Going back to verse 6, it says, don't worry, be happy. Anyways, if you got that reference, I apologize. Anyways, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He gives us what we do right here. He says, don't worry, but in everything, present your request to God. We're really good about when we pray, we're really good about hitting the list. You know the list? God, we need you to act here, heal here, move here. You start begging God different areas. But when it comes to our worry and our anxiety, sometimes I think we, we feel like it's, it's not okay to give to God. It's like, let's just keep it to ourselves because it sounds really rude when I say it out loud. But God's saying, in every, and Paul's right, in everything, Bring it to the Lord. Here's the thing about Jesus. He wants everything. He wants our work. He wants our anxiety. He wants our fear. He wants our pain. He wants our suffering. He wants our good days. He wants our bad days. He says, just bring it to him. Cover everything in prayer. Like, prayer is the key. It's very important. We see Jesus himself who withdraws from his disciples and others all the time just to get alone uh, from these people to spend time with God. And so we bathe everything in prayer. We don't just forget about the worry or the stress or it is we deal with it. We move 
past it by dealing with it and bring it to God in prayer. And then in verse 8, we find Paul says, after you've dealt with things, after you've handled these things, I'm going to give you this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. That word whatever, we, use, we often use it to like bounce things off of. Kids especially, right? Like whatever, you know, we use that whatever to kind of end a conversation. We want to get out of it, whatever, okay? And then we're done, walk away. My kids do all the time, it drives me insane. But we use this as kind of a deflecting word at times. But here we don't see that. And here whatever is used as all-inclusive, what, what we see is whatever is connecting different things that God has given us to use as weapons because he tells us to dwell on these things. With, instead of dwelling on whatever circumstance you're going through, allowing that to control what you think and what you are doing, but dwell on these things instead. These are things that we are to use to attack and run towards. We don't hide away from things. We run towards them with a light in our hand. And, and so instead of ignoring or pushing through or whatever it might be, we attack our worry, we attack our fear, we attack our suffering with things that are true, with, with things that are honorable, with things that are just, things that are lovely, and things that are commendable. God has given us everything we need to face everything that we are going to face in life. God has given us what we need. He doesn't just leave us where we're at. He doesn't make us walk through things and him just go, good luck. He has given us everything we need. And when Paul is writing these words, what he is doing, he's calling the church to get past certain things, to stand firm in the Lord, to work out these disagreements, to rejoice in the Lord and in him alone. Your worry and your anxiety, don't let it get in the way of the mission of the church, but may you deal with it and handle it and dwell on these things instead. What Paul is doing is he's wanting to call the church and shift their focus off of self and back onto who Jesus is to call the church not to focus on whatever circumstance is going on, but to deal with those and align our lives back with Jesus and get back to the mission. I know I said a couple times this morning, I'm going to say it again, what's the mission of God? What's the mission of the church? It's to make disciples and advance the kingdom. And when we deal with the things that we struggle with in life, and we deal with the situations and the circumstances that we currently are under, that way we can put these things to the side and focus on who Jesus is. We've all have probably said this, we've, many of us in this room have probably said it, you, you, you hear this phrase, may we see revival in the nation. If I was to ask anyone in this room who wants to see revival in this nation, I guarantee you most of us would raise our hand, right? We absolutely want to see a revival in this nation. We want to see a revival in this world. We want to see a revival in our schools, in our community. But before we see a national revival or a revival within our community or even in our homes, it must start with an individual revival. It starts with us. The church is not the building. The church isn't even the name Harvest Baptist Church. That's just a title. The church are the people who are 
born-again believers who come together to fellowship, to break bread, to study the Word of God together, but then to live on mission together for the kingdom of heaven. And when we work past these things and we no longer are aligning ourselves with different things within this world, we are aligning ourselves with who Jesus is and we can get back on the mission for who God is. Because I mean, when it's said to me, people look at us and say, you know what? This person is different. This person is different. May we be the church and there's a big difference between being the church and playing the church. May we not play church anymore. May we get serious about the kingdom of God and be the church moving forward in action for the glory of God. I want to leave you with this. There's something about people that when we see people, and, you've, and you can name them, people who are on fire for the Lord, people who are rejoicing the Lord, people who are celebrating Him, people who are constantly praising him when you see people have genuine faith there's something that draws us to them right there's something about that just like wow that person is genuine i wish i had what they had Uh, but then on the other side of that you have what you call a faux christianity a fake christianity to where we might come inside the church doors and we sing the songs we open up our bible we say the right words but inside we are spiritually dead to quote dc talk we walk out these doors and deny him with our lifestyle. If we are to be the church, we must make sure individually that we are aligning ourselves with who Jesus is. That way, as a church, we can align ourselves with the mission of God and be the church and move through these things and pass these things all for the glory of God and all about making disciples and advancing his kingdom. May God resonate in our hearts and our minds to lead us that way. I'll close us this real quick. I, 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 I believe that in settings like this, God can call us to do different things. I believe in settings like this, He can stir up our hearts. I believe in settings like this, He can call people to Himself. In my prayer this morning, if you are sitting here and you have never made that commitment to follow Jesus, I pray this morning that maybe you've been on edge for a while, like, you know, I've been thinking about this Jesus guy. I've been thinking about committing to him i just don't know man what better day than today to make that decision in just a few minutes the praise band is going to play i'll be right up here i'll be glad to talk to you and show you what it means to be a follower of jesus christ or maybe you're sitting here you know what i've been standing firm in things but i haven't been standing firm in jesus or maybe you're sitting here going, you know what there is a brother and sister in christ who i have been uh, in disagreement with there is a broken relationship May we seek restoration. May we come and pray about it. May we seek that person out this morning and say, listen, we've got to figure this out. Whatever it is the Lord is doing in our hearts this morning, I pray that we will respond to whatever it is that he is leading us to do. If nothing else, may we sit there and rejoice over who God is and everything that he has done. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. 
our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.